So hello everyone and welcome to the next instalment of Alphabet Accounting with me Jodie Lucas and Lisa Weaver. Okay Jodie so I think we're moving on to B and our first discussion topic for B is a really important one which is the balance sheet. So could you say a few things about the balance sheet? What is it and why is it important in accounting? Of course I could. Now in terms of the balance sheet it's a phrase that's been around for many years. The balance sheet aka statement of financial position as it's sometimes known is a list of all of the assets, liabilities and equity at a snapshot point in time. So it gets its term balance sheet from the fact that no matter how we lay out a balance sheet, the top of a statement of financial position, the top of the balance sheet will always balance to the bottom. Hence why it gets often referred to even now in practice as a balance sheet. So it's useful for people to look at so they can see the position of the company at the year end, is that right? It is. And we talked earlier about when we visited A's, the accounting period. And remember, a company can pick whatever year end it chooses, but this balance sheet would be drawn up as at their year end date. So that might be the 31st of March, it might be the 31st of December or another date, but it lists all those assets, all the liability and all the equity at that given date. And you said before that there are kind of two names for the same thing. There's the balance sheet and you said it's also known as the statement of financial position. So which one would you see in a company's like real set of accounts or would it matter? Well, in a real set of accounts, they can choose to call it either. So you will see a lot lot of UK companies that would still term it and still head it a balance sheet. Um, The term statement of financial position comes from the accounting standard IS1. Okay. And certainly I think students would need to just be aware that they're basically the same thing it's just a different title for that same list of assets list of liabilities list of equity exactly so moving on with b we're now looking at biological assets now i should disclose at this point lisa that my father is a farmer and he's been a farmer for many years and when i disclosed that at my first ever audit practice firm It was as I was a farmer's daughter that I got given all of the farming accounts jobs, all the agricultural jobs, and they expected me to know how to value cows and sheep, which I hadn't got a clue. So could you explain what we mean by the term biological assets? Yeah, of course. It's an interesting one. Um, We talked about assets on our previous podcast. So we know that assets tend to be things like machinery, uh, but you could also have intangible assets like brand names. But you can have, obviously, as they're called, biological assets, like real living things that are assets of a company. Remember that an asset is something that you use in your business um, to produce a benefit. So you could be a farmer um, growing a crop. So it could be um, like um, wheat or it could be a coffee plantation or a tea plantation or it could be animals Um, or in my case when I was in audit um, I was sent to to count fish I was sent to count salmon which were the biological asset of the company Um, it was not a nice day in the freezing cold water counting fish but anyway to come back to what the biological asset is it's just a living thing 
that is used by the organisation. So typically, like in the examples I was saying there, they're either animals or crops that are being kind of produced to sell on, just like you would sell on like a manufactured kind of product. Brilliant. And, and I imagine there's difficulties in terms of how you value them. Yep, there are. It's too complicated really to talk about in the podcast, but we have a specific accounting standard that tells us how to value these biological assets. And to put it simply, it's at fair value or market value. So when you're putting the accounts together for something like a dairy farm or a tea plantation, it's really difficult because what you've got to do is perhaps say, well, how old is that um, that tea tree or how old is that cow? And therefore think, well, how much is it worth? How big is it? How heavy is it? Um, how many um, products could I make out of that animal? Different types of breed, I guess. Different types of breed. So you can you can imagine it's a real specialist area of accounting also for, for auditors like we both experienced. And that's why we have in some cases like really specific accounting standards and guidance to help people in those specific situations to account for their assets. And perhaps an expert as well that might come along and help us value it. Yep, definitely. So when you're doing accounting, um, even though the directors are responsible for the accounts, they definitely bring in experts sometimes. And this is a really good example of when that might happen. That's great. Some really good examples there, Lisa, although I can't let you off the hook without just asking for one more. You gave tea and coffee plantations, a vineyard as well. I know you like a glass of wine. I do like a glass of wine (laughs) and definitely a vineyard would be a great example of lots of biological assets. The trees, the collection of Yeah, the the vineyards, the grapes on them, um, how old the vineyard is. And also think that you've got the, the wine, which is actually in the barrels. Um, so ready to be sort of shipped out to their customers. But the point at which it turns from being a biological asset into a normal inventory is, again, an area of judgment that the directors have to think really carefully about. Oh, that's great. Thank you, Lisa. So, Jodie, we're going to talk about our next B now, which is brands. And you quite often see brands in a company's balance sheet. What does it mean if you see a brand there they're quite often big assets in companies accounts so many companies will have these brands as you mentioned as an asset in their balance sheet and if they are shown as an asset they are intangible assets so it's not something that you can physically touch like you can with a building you can go and visit or something that has tangible presence but we know it's got worth so if it's being capitalized as an asset then that means it must be a purchased brand. So for example, years ago, we have um, a chocolate factory in Bourneville in this area. um, And Cadbury's is a well established chocolate brand, where they went and purchased that. Oh, I don't like it that horrible drink. Do you like Dr. Pepper? No, horrible. So Dr. Pepper was a brand that they purchased and they capitalized as an intangible asset on their own balance sheet. And then like we discussed earlier in the podcast, they would then go and think Think about the period which they get benefits over and they would then amortise that brand. Now, purchase brands go as an intangible asset. They're shown on that balance sheet, but internally generated brands where a company spent its own money on advertising and marketing campaigns to to build the brand awareness, to build the brand presence, that internally generated expenditure 
all has to go to the profit and loss account. So the bit that you mentioned on the actual balance sheet must be a purchase brand that they've gone out and bought, like Dr. Pepper. The internally generated brand of Cadbury's itself isn't a purchase brand. That's seen as internally generated. So does that mean if you've internally generated a brand, there's no way you could tell from looking at the accounts that that brand exists? In the balance sheet itself, no, because it's not shown as an asset. In narrative disclosures, this is where companies might go and describe something that they're spending money on and, and give an estimate of what they think its value would be, but it's not actually accounted for. So yes, internally generated brands would not be shown as an asset. And that's why when, let's say, a company goes and buys another company, when they're looking at how much money to per- to pay for that purchase, there might be other identifiable assets that aren't shown in there. They're not actually in that value on the balance sheet itself. So does that mean that accounts sometimes could be seen as like not complete or like even misleading? Yes, I suppose it could be seen as that. You could almost say they take a very prudent perspective because there are so many things that we know have got worth but because we can't get a reliable measurement for them because we can't reliably measure how much value we should include on the statement of financial position on the balance sheet we just don't include it we don't show it and I suppose another issue is that brand names could be quite volatile so something could happen one day like a disaster to a particular brand and all of a sudden it's worth nothing so it might be too um like volatile Definitely. or disruptive to have these there on the be balance these sheet. Big fluctuations in value. Um, and so that's why, unless it is a purchase brand, we don't show those internally generated brands. Um, we also, for a purchase brand, with some of those events you've just mentioned, even if we were merrily amortizing our brand over a period of 15 years and suddenly something happens where we think it's suddenly been damaged and it's decreased in value, that that impairment would be immediately expensed. And we'll talk about impairments more when we come on to I later on in our podcast. Great. Thanks, Jodie. And we'll be back with another episode of our podcast soon. See you then, everyone. Mm-hmm.